Wow, isn't it something to just join our voices together and sing to the Lord for um, people who write the songs, you know, and give us, use their gifts to give us those songs. And for those who play here and lead us in worship as we join together, you know, singing songs and, and the writing of songs, just uh, an amazing gift from God, I think, really encourages us, helps us to be unified. <clears throat> so I just thank God for that and for our, those who lead us in worship. Let's pray before we look into God's word. Father, we thank you for this time that we have now to look into your word. We thank you for the worship that we have been able to enter into through music, through singing. We pray, Lord, that uh, our hearts would be open to you and your word and that we would just leave here uh, more informed about who you are and your love for us and how we can walk with you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, uh, sometimes we Christians will talk about having a calling from God. You know, a sense that God has called me to a certain ministry or job or some important commitment, some sort of major decision that God is leading me to, to make. I mean, we, we think that way. And in some cases, we may feel very confident that God is calling us to a certain action or to a certain decision or certain ministry or whatever. In other cases, we may not be nearly as confident as to whether God has actually called us to that specific action or decision. Especially if we've stepped out and done something and it went all wrong. And you think, did you actually call me to that, God? Or if things have, the, the decision we made has caused lots of trouble or difficulty, then we may seriously question whether it was a true calling of God. But this morning, we're going to be looking at a calling from God that is absolutely certain. Can't even be any doubt about it. But it isn't a calling from God to an individual. It's a calling from God to a church. And then as it turns out, as we look at it, it's really a calling from God to every church. And in this calling, I believe it will be very helpful for us in the circumstances that we are in. We're going to be in the, in the New Testament book of Ephesians. And in chapter 4 of Ephesians, we'll have the verses on the screen. But if you have a Bible and like to turn to it, it's in the chapter 4 of Ephesians. The Apostle Paul talks to the people in the church in Ephesus about a calling from God that they have as a church of Jesus Christ. Now, before we look at it, what kind of a calling do you think calling from God, do you suppose a church might receive? As it turns out, Paul is going to tell them how they should act 
and live as a group of people who have turned to Jesus Christ as their Savior and as people who claim to be children of God and followers of Christ. And it so happens that they have a very special calling. And what I see in this passage is a gold mine of teaching for any church that really wants to show people who Christ is and what he can do for those who turn to him and follow him and commit themselves to him. So I'm going to be reading in Ephesians chapter 4, and we'll start with verse 1. And look what Paul says to them about the church. He says, As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Their calling is to live lives that show that they are now followers of Jesus Christ, that they no longer live lives according to the mindset of the world. They've moved from the world to Christ. And their calling is to let the whole world see what it means to live to honor Christ. Give them a picture of what a Christian is, what a follower of Christ is, what it means to have received forgiveness of our sins, what it means to be an actual child of God. That's their calling. And in verses 2 and 3, he tells them what it looks like. He says, here's how they can show people their calling. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. And make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through, through the bond of peace. This is how we live up to our calling as Christ followers. This is how we show the world that we are children of God. And he talks about humility and gentleness and patience and bearing with one another in love, kind of putting up with one another in love. It sounds like a lifestyle that is pretty heavily other-centered, doesn't it? It sounds like a lifestyle where there's no room for selfishness. It's a calling that really makes us think outside of ourselves. And if every time, it's, a, it's as if every time we act, we have to stop and think. Is this, does this uh, have humility and gentleness and thinking outside of myself? Are we patient? Am I bearing with one another in a loving way? That sounds like a pretty serious calling, wouldn't you say? But it is our calling from God because it's a calling to every church. Humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love. Now, I said a minute ago that... <clears throat> There may be instances where we would question if God would, did really call me to this calling that I thought he did. But here, there's no question, is there? I mean, he is calling the church to live out these qualities. We've been called to humility, gentleness, 
patience and bearing with one another, a very other-centered attitude or outlook. You know, when I see this, humility, gentleness, patience, and bearing with one another in love, it, it reminds me, or I start to think of, you know, when I became a Christian as a young adult, <clears throat> I left one group of people that I was used to being with and totally switched over to another group. So it was easy for me, in that instance, to leave the stuff that I was doing wrong and start doing good stuff. But, you know, then to be completely humble and gentle and patient and bearing with others in love, that's a whole other step, isn't it? I mean, it's one thing to stop doing certain things that you know are wrong. It's another step to always act humbly and to be gentle and patient and bearing with one another in love. And so, you know, as we interact with each other, that's what we're going for, isn't it? And interact with people in the world. Humility, patience. Now, I have said before and more than once that in my opinion, this church, this body of Christ, is filled with individuals and families that are living according to this calling to a large degree. Nobody's perfect, right? And because of that, people enjoy coming and being a part of this church family. And you know, as a pastor or church leader in this church, there's almost nothing better than to see this going on consistently in our church. I just say, say, always say we have good people in our church because the people in our church are, are really working to follow God. And of course, what it leads to is people showing true concern for others if we're following this, to be truly concerned for others, a willingness to help others in need, a willingness to reach out to make people feel welcome. Kind of thinking through all these, these ways. Coming into church with the attitude of noticing others and seeing how they are doing. Greeting others that you may not know. Listening to someone that may be dealing with a problem or a hurt. Because we're here to encourage one another in the faith, aren't we? And like I said, I see this going on in our church, but I think we have to keep reminding ourselves. Well, I hope you do, because I have to keep reminding myself. You know, one very well-known uh, Bible scholar from the past said this about encouragement. All this leads to encouragement of others. And he said... One of the highest human duties is the duty of encouragement. It's easy to scoff at someone's ideals. It's easy to pour cold water on someone's enthusiasm. It's easy to discourage others. The world is full of discouragers. But we have a Christian duty to encourage one another. 
Many times a word of praise or thanks or appreciation or cheer has kept a person on their feet. Blessed is the person who speaks a word of encouragement. And it kind of struck me when he said, the world, world is full of discouragers. It's easy to discourage, isn't it? It's even a form of, you know, comedy. And it would be good if the church of Jesus Christ is full of and known for encouragers. Now, verse 3, which we already read, <clears throat> says, Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Now, each person who turns to Jesus Christ for forgiveness receives the Holy Spirit of God to indwell them. And then the Bible tells us to walk by the Spirit, walk according to the Spirit. So if we all walk according to the Spirit instead of according to the, the dictates of the world or the attitudes of the world, if we walk uh, rather by the dictates of the Spirit, which is basically practicing humility, gentleness, patience, and putting up with one another in love. Uh, that's a pretty good example, pretty good uh, summary of what it is to walk by the Spirit. It may, it may be even more than that. But if we do that, we will be making the effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. Because those are the kind of things that promote unity when we care for one another. We practice humility and gentleness and patience. It all works together, doesn't it? But it also says the unity of the Spirit, keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. So our, our job is to take the effort to keep the unity of the Spirit, and then it says through the bond of peace. So what is the bond of peace? <clears throat> well, the bond of peace has to do with the ancient hatred or enmity between Jews and Gentiles. The Jews were, were and are God's chosen people. And the Gentiles, which the word means nations. It's everybody else outside of the Jewish nation, outside of Jews, who were God's chosen people the non-Jewish nations. <clears throat> and there, have been <clears throat> there has been thousands of years of hatred and wars between the Jewish people of God and the nations of the world, the Gentiles. And Jesus was born as the Jewish Messiah sent to save his people. But the Gentiles had no stake in the true God or the Jewish faith. So then, just what is that bond of peace that provides the unity of the Spirit? Well, it's back in chapter 2. <clears throat> and I'm going to read several verses here. And look at these words that talks about how we get the unity of the Spirit. He says, therefore, remember that formerly, he's talking to the Ephesians, you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which are the Jews, which is done in the body by human hands, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, you Gentiles. 
You were excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise. Without hope and without God in the world, they were uh, bad shape. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. <clears throat> For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one, Jews and Gentiles. He's brought them together in Christ and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility <clears throat> by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. He fulfilled the law. That law condemned us. Christ died on the cross and paid the penalty for us not being able to keep the law. And so our salvation is through him who kept the law. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity of the two, out of the two, thus making peace. There's our bond of peace. It's in Christ, isn't it? And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away, you Gentiles, and peace to those who were near, the Jews. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Christ's death on the cross to pay for sin removes the barrier between Jews and Gentiles for all who will put their faith in Christ as their only hope of salvation. He offered himself as that barrier remover. And he created in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And he reconciled both Jews and Gentiles who hated each other to God through the cross, preaching peace to both Jews and Gentiles, placing both into the body of Christ, the church. So the blood of Christ becomes the bond of peace against enemies that hated each other. That produces the unity of the spirit. And Paul says to make every effort to keep that unity. Now, if Christ's sacrifice on the cross brought together Jews and Gentiles who for centuries hated each other, you know, attacked each other, took each other's slaves, all that kind of stuff. And even now, you know, in the Middle East, there's still hatred. You got this Jewish nation that's the size of New Jersey, <clears throat> you've got all these non-Jewish nations surrounding it that want to push it into the Mediterranean Sea. Even now, there's still that hatred. But if Christ has paid the price to bring them together, but I, I should say too, you know, there are non-Jews who live in Israel and they have accepted Christ, and there's no hatred anymore between them. But the ones who live all around Israel and don't know Christ, there's a lot of hatred still. And so Paul, if, if God sending his son and his son dying on the cross can bring those two elements together, those two peoples together, we should be able to bring together ourselves, just different people, as we come to Christ and work together as a church. 
So how do we work or make every effort to keep that unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace that Jesus provided for us on the cross? We do it by being completely humble and gentle and patient and bearing with one another in love. And then look how our Christian faith is actually a faith that shouts oneness, that shouts bearing with one another in love. It's in the next few verses, Ephesians 4, 4 through 6. This is what our Christian faith is made up of. Look at all the oneness. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Our chosen faith, as we turn to Christ, is a faith of oneness. Pretty obvious there, isn't it? We make up one body of Christ with one heavenly Father and dwelt by one Holy Spirit, and we have one Lord, one faith, and one baptism. And how do we walk in oneness or unity? By being humble, gentle, patient, bearing with one another in love. And what is it that threatens to destroy our precious unity and our bond of peace? It's pride, harshness, self-centeredness, refusing to bear with one another in love. And it's by not making the effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace that Jesus provided through his sacrifice on the cross. You know, <clears throat> when I think of the church and the body of Christ, it is such an amazing provision by God in this world that is full of sin and selfishness and people just trying to step on others in order to get what they want and using others. And you find it all the time. You find that you know, people have been cheating in this major area of our nation and you know, all kinds of things lying going on. But you have the body of Christ, which we're to love one another and help one another and seek peace between one another through gentleness and kindness and putting up with one another. And the world outside can't even begin to comprehend it. They look at the church and they often see it as a negative or controlling or unrealistic. Or they, they see us as people who can't think for ourselves because we, we follow a book. And then you have dictators and despots. They see Christianity as a threat to their control and power. So there's always this <clears throat> animosity toward the church. And of course, Satan is working underneath all of that to engender that. But the church is the living, breathing body of Christ, unified by the Holy Spirit, loved by God dearly, who is preparing a home for us in his eternal kingdom. I mean, the church is just this amazing, amazing body that 
I don't think we can even understand it. We can just get a glimpse of it as we, as we read the word, spend time in prayer with the Lord. And now here is what we hope to do with this truth. Now we've been talking about getting a little more organized in this church, <clears throat> you know, setting out things that people can do to help, we can all help together to uh, make sure that we're covering all the basics in order to be a church devoted to God with the people we have. And as we've been talking about this as, as leadership, and we're gonna, we've been saying more, a little bit more to the congregation, we're going to be saying more. It's not that we're aiming to get very fancy or trying to impress people. We just want to help each other become solid followers of Christ and be the people he wants us to be. And so, <clears throat> as we look at the word of God, and as we take it to heart, and as we see the calling that God has given us in every church, let me now just end with the first verse that we looked at. The Apostle Paul said, As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Let's pray.